This morning, somebody asked about uh, intentions and the place of intentions in making choices and decisions uh, when we now enter back into our, our daily life. And it seems like a good time to talk about intentions this time of year. Um, usually it's the time of year at New Year's. We make New Year's resolutions which are the same thing as us. it's the same thing as setting intentions for our year, giving some direction to our actions for the year. I wanted to have uh, get a chance to find out. You know, you can go on the internet and find out anything these days, and I wanted to look and see where this New Year's resolutions uh, ritual came from. Uh, which I didn't have a chance to do today, being such a full day. But it's something I'm curious about because it's so much in our culture. Um, I remember from the time I was quite small, my parents talking about making New Year's resolutions. And it's really a very beautiful ritual, I think, for all of us. And um, I wonder how many people here actually do it. Because I think that getting some clarity for ourselves about what is important, what we do value, um, how we do want to direct our uh, intentions and our actions uh, through the year is actually something very important for us and fits very much in our practice that we're doing here. So I want to talk about uh, intention and explore a little bit together and see uh, Oh, if we can shed some more light on this together. The Buddha said, intention is the basis of all karma. So if we talk about intention, we're also talking about karma and how we generate karma in our lives. Uh, in some ways, well, in many ways, this is part two of the talk I gave the other night because when I was talking about the two kinds of thought and uh, the effort that we make in our practice in relationship to noticing what's useful and what's not useful, what's helpful, what's not helpful, what's beneficial, what's not beneficial, is really uh, getting, helping um, uh, transform our karma in a way so that there's more likelihood that there's going to be happiness in our life rather than suffering as we do that. And so I want to look a little bit more on this transformation, how we we transform suffering in our life so that we are feeling and experiencing and living a more easeful, peaceful, happy life, since that is the goal of this practice. It's not just a something that we talk about uh, as a teaching, but it's a real possibility for each and every one of us. Our intentions are what creates the suffering or the happiness where we place our intentions. And this suffering or happiness is our karma, or we might say it's the fruit of our karma, because karma itself literally is translated as action, So it's our action, which is the karma, and it gives rise to the fruit of our actions or the fruit of that karma. 
when we go back into our daily lives, in some ways the experience there is not so different than the experience we're having here. I mean, fundamentally, there really are only six experiences that happen. I think Eugene mentioned this the other night. There are only six experiences that happen, and that is seeing, seeing, tasting, touching, smelling, um, hearing, and the thought that arises about all that. So what happens when we go into our daily life after uh, retreat, what actually changes, I think, is really the speed of those experiences. It's not that the experiences are actually that different, but there is so much more stimulation through the sense doors and through the mind door that it all is going really, really fast. And particularly now in our 21st century, uh, for most of us, and you know, not all of us, some of us will go back to uh, 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 perhaps a quiet, more integrated life. Some, some people may actually have that these days. But I think for the most of us, you know, we go back to some, you know, very active, busy, sometimes speedy kind of lifestyle. And we have decisions and plans and responsibilities. We have our family, our jobs, and, and all the stimulation from the media and the different uh, activities that we get involved in. And there's just so much that we're attempting to process in any given hour any given part of our day, that it's a lot for the psyche to deal with. A lot gets, we kind of get bombarded with life uh, as it is. Here on the retreat, we really slow things down. We simplify, we create a container so that you don't really have to make very many decisions. You know, you don't have very many responsibilities, and therefore you don't have to, you know, you don't have to deal with very much here. And so as that drops away and we open up uh, the container to the, the beautiful solitude that's here, you have an opportunity to see your mind in a way that you may not have an opportunity to when you go back to your daily life and things are speeding up quite a lot. We can't, we really don't have, sometimes we don't really take the time to notice what's impacting and how we're responding or how we're reacting to those stimulations that are coming in. They come in so fast that we may not either take the time to pay attention in the way that we might, or maybe we don't have the skill to do that or whatever, But generally, a lot comes in, and at some point, we may need to stop and process it, take some time with it, just stop for a bit to see what's actually going on. These reactions or these responses happen so fast that sometimes we only know about them in hindsight. You know, it's only kind of after the fact that we may look back or reflect and say, oh yeah, I did that today, or I said that, or that had that kind of effect. One time one of my teachers likened this to um, as if we were sitting on a train backwards, 
the train's going one way and our back is in the direction that the train is going. And we're looking out the window at where we've already been. And it's like that in a way. It's like life goes by almost as if we're noticing it after the fact. You know, something happens and then, and then we wake up, then we realize. And so we really need to take time with these reflections, reflecting on what happened, whether it's in the moment, what just happened, what was the impact, what was the contact, what was the response, what was the reaction, staying very close and connected with that, or sometimes maybe a little further in time, you know, maybe later in the day or when we go to bed or later in the week. We start to, to, to get a sense of, of, of what's going on. We really need help to understand the predicament that we're in as human beings with this, you know, the way that so much happens so quickly, all this, this, this contact, stimulation, effect, uh, action, and, and result. We tend to keep doing things over and over and over again And we reap the consequences of our actions. And sometimes we don't really understand what we're doing that's giving rise to the suffering in our life. That we are feeling the pain or we're feeling difficulty and we repeat these habits again and again. And we we may not have the reflection or the ability to reflect to find out what's really going on, but we feel the pain. We feel the dukkha of what's happening. Somebody said that um, the definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. <laughs> you know, in a way, that's really kind of what we do. And we, it's like we don't understand what's really going on, and sometimes we can feel insane, like things feel so insane. And so we have these practices which can help us uh, find some way to begin to reflect on this. Understanding karma and intention gives us a way to understand what actually brings our happiness and what brings suffering in our life. Eugene was talking about joy last night and ways that we could understand and generate more joy in our life. And we've had talks about suffering and ways that we uh, can look at and deal with, uh, understand the suffering that's happening in our life. So karma gives us this understanding. When we look at karma, when we Uh, look into what karma is, we can start to have a little bit more understanding. Because we do not live in a random universe. This universe actually is governed by laws, laws of nature. And as we let go, as we let go of our ego structure and our habits and our patterns, we're not letting go into randomness. We're not letting go into more chaos, even though sometimes it can feel like that and we can think that that's what's happening, is that, you know, as I let go, things are just going to get more overwhelming or chaotic, and it's very hard to trust that. 
but we're actually letting go into a universe that is very wise, that is very ordered, and that is very intelligent. There's 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 an intelligence in the law of things, in the way things are. In, this, in the Dharma. And yet we lose connection with that order. We lose connection with that deeper intelligence of our being or the intelligence of the universe. And we lose connection when we identify ourselves as separate, separate from everything else. When we are identified with a sense of separateness. And that position is very painful. And it's the usual position. It's the, it's the position of the ego or the position of the, the self, the separate self or the separate isolated self that, that, has, that has needs and desires and hopes and plans and expectations and, and preferences. And, and this self or this ego needs to be defended and protected and gratified and enhanced and taken care of. And all this activity can keep us very busy, you know, in, in taking care of ourself in this way. And yet from this position, our reference point is always for ourself. We're thinking about ourself. And, and this is so common, this position is so common that we may not even think about it or reflect on it or have some way to understand it. And again, we just might be so busy that we may not be looking at this, the subtlety of our being and who we are and the way we are. When we get preoccupied with ourself in this way, it's a very narrow view. Our picture gets, can get very small, very narrow. And it's hard to see the bigger picture. It's hard to see clearly the way things are when we're quite identified with this position of ego. Ego is actually another word for karma, or another word for karma is habit. So those three words, ego and habit and karma, they all actually mean the same thing. So sometimes we might just say the ego habit, you know, which gives rise to the karma in our life. So when we talk about karma and intentions, we really need to talk about habit. And these habits, these habitual patterns that we get caught in. Because habits are karmic inclinations. These karmic inclinations or conceptual frames of mind that get reinforced through repetition over again and over and again and over again. When we do things over and over and over again. And these might be habits of self-judgment, and you've probably seen these particular inclinations, these inclinations of mind that fall into judgment again and again and again. And if that isn't seen, then that just gets reinforced, it gets solidified, and it gets repeated again and again and again. Or there might be habits of some ways that we're self-indulgent, you know, through our eating habits or 
uh, uh, TV habits, or it might be alcohol or drugs or shopping or some kind of stronger habits, which we call addictions. We have a psychological word for that, which are the intensification of these habits. We're really caught in the force field of that habit. And when these habits are playing out, they get reinforced because there's usually very little mindfulness or wisdom about these habits. So it's very hard to change them. Um, When these habits are getting reinforced in this way with very little mindfulness or wisdom, we call this confusion. This is like the mind is confused. we're, We're caught in these habits. And we don't know, it's like we don't even really know what's going on. We don't know what we're strengthening. We can't really see very clearly what's happening. And, and there's actually little choice to do things differently without the mindfulness or without the wisdom of what's happening. But when there's mindfulness and wisdom, the habits still arise But if we don't empower them, they can have a chance to move through consciousness. And they don't take hold in the same way. If if we actually can see what's happening and we're not feeding them, we're not reinforcing them by actually following through and getting involved in the activity of eating or drinking or... Uh, or judging, uh, or whatever the pattern is, there's a chance for that habit to begin to lose some of its power. There's this beautiful um, uh, teaching story that I'm sure some of you have heard. It goes like this. A Native American grandfather was talking to his grandson about how he felt about a struggle he was having. And he said, I feel as if I have two wolves fighting in my heart. One wolf is the vengeful, angry, violent one. The other wolf is the loving, compassionate one. The grandson asked him, which wolf will then win in the fight in your heart, grandfather? And the grandfather answered, the one I feed. The one I feed. And so that's where when we watch those intentions to act in a certain way arise, if we can bring a certain degree of mindfulness there and and find a way not to engage in that pattern that might be painful or difficult, there's a chance we can start to break free of the grip of the hold that that pattern has over us. If ignorance is absent, even for a moment, there is freedom. Even if the ignorance is absent, just for a moment there's freedom. A freedom from our karma or from incurring more karma with that particular pattern. A moment of awareness is simply knowing our experience in a clear way without judgment, or expectation. And this moment of clear seeing is a moment of choice. It's a moment of choice. Otherwise, we don't have the choice 
to do something differently. When we're lost and we're overcome by our habits, there's no real choice. The habits take over and those forces are in control. And the forces are what is acting out. The forces are what's playing out. The forces of greed, hatred, and delusion, basically. When we work with habits, we look at our intentions. And these intentions, and Eugene began to answer this this morning, the intentions are actually either you can feel them as the impulse, that the, where the body, the muscles actually contract for a moment, the impulse to act in a certain way. Or sometimes you can experience intention through the thought. It actually, a thought arises, and, and there's some clear thought saying, I want to do that, or I'm going to do that. And you can actually feel yourself begin to be propelled with the thought into the action. So the intentions actually arise either through the impulse, if there isn't any thought. Sometimes you can just feel the impulse in a kind of a spontaneous way. And, and sometimes if there's enough clarity and mindfulness, you can catch that, that impulse. You can feel your body starting to like reach for the refrigerator or you know, reach for that remote control <laughs> or, you know, or the, the, the the coat and the hat or whatever it is. And, 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 and you can, there can be a moment where you can actually discern whether you want to follow through with that impulse or not. Or sometimes it's, it's not so immediate. There's a thought that arises and there's some time involved where you can ruminate or reflect on that particular thought and see if you want to follow, follow through or not. These intentions uh, give direction or aim to our actions. And I often think of these intentions as like the, the arrow with a, when we have a bow and an arrow and you're aiming at something, it's that the arrow, is, it shoots towards a target. And it's that intention, it has that kind of power, the intention can actually shoot and hit the target. You know? and, and it has a lot of power. And, and so, and we, I don't even think we actually realize how much power these intentions have until we really start to feel it and examine it. And, and, and this morning Eugene mentioned that every moment there is some kind of intention that arises. Every moment, there, with the movement of mind and heart and body and speech, there's some, some, something's being propelled into the next moment. So, um, in fact, this is such an important piece. It's the second factor in the Eightfold Noble Path. You know, wise intention, wise thought. Wise intention, wise thought, same thing. If our words or actions are based on greed, hatred, or delusion, they will result in unwholesome karma or suffering. If they are based on non-greed, which is the generosity or renunciation, non-hatred, which is kindness or metta, or non-delusion, which is wisdom, they will result in wholesome karma or happiness. One of our teachers, um, Saida Upandita, the Burmese uh, meditation master, said, right understanding of karma is like a railroad junction where the train can choose its direction. Or like an international airport 
which is linked to many destinations. It's a moment. It's a moment of choice. We can go one way or we can go another way. And we're p- these, these intentions are like seeds that we are planting all the time, mixed with other conditions. And these seeds will sooner or later bring certain results. And we can have some effect on what results we bring about. When these intentions are mixed or infused with ignorance, and ignorance is generally considered the I want or the I don't want, the clinging and the craving, whether it's the, the, the grasping towards something we want or the pushing away of something we don't want. When our intentions are mixed with ignorance, this obscures our ability to discern what's good or evil, useful or harmful. And when there's no way to discern, when the mind is confused, then our actions are random. There's not the the steadiness or the stability there because our our intentions and our actions are mixed with confusion. And when this happens, then suffering is more likely to result than happiness. About um, a week ago, uh, just before the retreat, I'm going to be in retreat for some time now, for the next few months, and I wanted to see the Lord of Rings, the Lord of the Rings, before I went. And I've been, I, ha- I didn't read the books before... Um, when I was small or, or, or growing up. But I got very involved with the, the trilogy of the films as they were coming out. And, and I really wanted to see the last one before, um, but I, I missed it in the theaters. And there's two images uh, from that film that just, they're so strong in my mind now, and they have been over the retreat. And one of them is, in, and I know maybe some of you haven't seen it, but maybe there are a few people here who have, but there's one image uh, of where there's this giant spider, a giant spider. And he, he, at one point, he gets um, Frodo, the one who's carrying the ring, and he wraps him up in, this, in, his, in his web. And he wraps him and wraps him and wraps him and wraps him so that Frodo actually is in this, he's like in a mummy of this spider's web strings. And that image is so strong for me because Frodo is the, is the bearer of the, of the, of the light. You know, he's got the ring and he's, he's bearing this, this light. And this spider has him completely wrapped up in a cocoon so that he is almost dead. And this spider, to, for me, is just like this ignorance. You know, it, it gets it, it, it wraps us up so totally so that we, 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 don't, we, don't, we can't even see. It's like we have this thick veil or cocoon in front of our eyes, and we're, it's like we're, we're captured, and we can't even see what we're doing. And, and, and I, that's such a powerful image for me because he's just like, an, he's just this, like this pellet of, of cobweb. 
and unable to act in any kind of way at all. We usually don't know what's motivating us or what our intentions are, how what's moving through us. It's almost as if something's just moving through, and we find ourselves acting. We find ourselves often so caught in these habitual ways of being. And the key to unlocking the pain that we experience from these habitual ways of being is truly by examining our intentions, by examining our motivations, by bringing uh, some light, by uh, the light of wisdom, the light of mindfulness onto ourselves, our mind, our being, our heart, so we can begin to see what's actually operating here. This is from the Anguttara Nikaya, one of the uh, uh, texts that has the discourses of the Buddha. And he's talking about abandoning the unskillful and cultivating the skillful. He says, the Buddha says, Don't go by reports, by legends, by traditions, by scripture, by logical conjecture, by inference, by analogies, by agreement with your views, by probability or by thought. The thought, this contemplative is our teacher, not even listening because this contemplative is my teacher. He says, when you know for yourselves that... These qualities are unskillful, these qualities are blameworthy, these qualities are criticized by the wise, these qualities, when undertaken and carried out, lead to harm and to suffering, then you should abandon them. When you know for yourself, don't listen to anything else, not even the teacher. You need to know in your own being, in your own heart. When you know for yourselves that these qualities are skillful, These qualities are blameless. These qualities are praised by the wise. These qualities, when undertaken and carried out, lead to welfare and to happiness. Then you should enter and remain in them. This goes back to the talk the other night when he's saying, enter into these wholesome ways of being and remain in them. Find a way to maintain them. Generate these conditions of your mind and your heart. Only when our intentions are infused with mindfulness and wisdom can we discern what to follow and what not to follow. I received a wonderful teaching from my teacher, uh, one of my teachers, Sokni Rinpoche, who's a a teacher in the Dzogchen, Dzogchen tradition. And he really helped me to understand why the mindfulness and the wisdom brings about the transformation in our karma, in, our, in, our, uh, in the, the momentum of our habitual way of being. And he talked about how in a moment when we are mindful and awake and we're not locked into clinging in that moment, we're not caught in the, the craving, the clinging, the craving, the, the greed, hatred, and delusion. In that moment, he said, we can say we are free of our karma. Because at that time, 
the mindfulness creates a gap or a break in the momentum of that habit, the momentum, the movement of that activity. A gap is exposed between one thought and the next, one intention and the next. It's like we break that link of that momentum. He says, this gap is like an open door to naked original mind. When this happens, when there's the gap, the innate qualities of the awakened state can begin to shine through that gap naturally. The wisdom, the wisdom of our being, the wisdom of our, of our heart has a chance to come through in that gap because we've broken that link, that chain of reactivity, of habitual reactivity. Sokni says, with mindfulness, the string of thought that ties confusion together is is suddenly no longer tying anything together. And the confusion naturally falls apart. When there is no pursuit of the past thought, not going back to what you were doing, and no inviting of the future thought, that gap means the whole delusory process vanishes. In that moment, the whole thing has fallen apart. And then he says something so beautiful. He says, the qualities of the heart are the afterglow. The qualities of the heart are the afterglow. It's like the gap in that confusion, which is the thought, the habitual thought, in a way is it allows the light, the light to come through. And we could call that light many different things. We've been talking about that over the week here, of the different qualities of the awakened heart or the qualities of the awakened being. I like to call that wisdom, an expression of our wisdom, an expression of our innate wisdom that has a chance to be expressed. Otherwise, the, the habit, the ego habit, can seem so, so substantial, so, so rigid, so solid in a way that we don't have an opportunity to experience something which sometimes we call deeper, a deeper expression of who we are, a deeper expression of our heart. We have all different ways of speaking about this. It's all metaphoric because we, it's hard to find words to talk about this kind of more um, abstract area of consciousness. As the mind is purified, and this is the purification process in a way that I'm speaking about, as the mind is purified of this greed and this hatred and this delusion, which means that we're, we're, we're interrupting the reinforcing of these habits, we're disentangling ourselves from these habits, these habitual ways of being, which is what I think is referred to as the purification, then there's more opportunity for wisdom to arise in our being. There's more gaps. (laughs) There's more space. 
You know, we use the word spaciousness. You know, people have talked about feeling more spacious or more expanded or you know more still or more quiet. That's the the gap in that confusion. That's what happens. Something's fallen apart. That ego structure, the way that I know myself to be, the way that I take myself to be, the habits that I find myself caught in, they've fallen apart. And for these moments, even if it's an instant, or maybe sometimes for longer moments, this is freedom. This is the freedom. We talk about the freedom from habit. Freedom from the ego habit. And then, you know, those forces of mind are so strong, they come back. They come back together and they take shape. They take configuration together again. And then we find ourselves caught in it again. And then with the mindfulness and the attention, then we might be able to see it. Ah, yeah. And then maybe with our skills and our tools that we learn, you know, ground ourselves, come back into the body, take some breaths, get some spaciousness of being again, and maybe interrupt again that momentum, the strength of that momentum of habit. This is the power, again, of the transformation, the power of the transformation, the freedom to choose in a moment to do something differently. The freedom of choice. We're not, in those moments, we're not locked in to our habitual way of being. And the freedom from these habits are only possible by having some kind of ability to see these patterns manifest have some way to self-reflect, to be self-aware, to, to um, have some skills to be able to look back at ourselves, to, to get to know ourselves, to understand ourselves in, in some kind of a deeper way. And then to have the skills uh, to let go, to know how to let go, which is really the... Um, the, 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 the whole path of practice, really, is learning ways to let go. It's not just that when we see something, it interrupts the process and then it falls apart and it doesn't come back again. We know that. And, 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 and you know, like, like I remember in the early days of retreats where I, I really thought that at the, because I felt so wonderful at the end of a retreat, I felt so spacious and so my heart was so open and I, I felt so soft. Like one woman said today, my breath is so soft. That I thought, this is it. You know, I, I, this is what I've always wanted and, and now I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life. And then, you know, two days later, <laughs> I meet somebody who I'm having difficulty with. My mouth opens. I say things that are difficult and hard and then I start judging myself again and not liking myself and thinking that I've lost it all and why did I go to retreat anyhow because I'm never going to get anywhere and, you know, just having a lot of self-doubt. And it's all, you know, it's coming back again. But what's different is I know how to look at it. I know how to relate to it. I know how to be with myself in a way that I didn't before. 
I know how to bring some love, bring some care. I know how to interrupt those old habitual patterns of being. This is what we learn. This is, this is the path, the path of practice. Freedom, talking about freedom. I think freedom is really so misunderstood in our culture. This freedom to choose. We talk about freedom of choice. Freedom of choice is very, very important in the United States and North America. And yet, I think it's important to ask ourselves the question, each one of us, is whether we actually have freedom to choose or are we really just driven by our desires and our fears? What does it really mean to be free, to be free to choose? Our culture has kind of gotten out of hand in terms of what is on offer for us to choose, (laughs) particularly around products and uh, uh, things that are available for us. We can have just about anything we want in this country. Most of us, those of us who are privileged, have the money to buy the things. And yet there's just so much, you know, um, I don't. I don't know if this. This. I want to tell you this a little story. Um, I think this fits in. It's just around freedom of choice. Um, just how how things have just seemed to grow and gotten so out of hand in terms of our of our consumer our consumerism. One time I was in um, South India. I've spent a lot of time in India, and um, I was staying about five or six days. Uh, in this one town in, in uh, uh, South India with a woman who was a, a doctor, Indian doctor, and I was with a friend. And um, it was a fairly well-to-do neighborhood, and there was a small store, like there is in most of the neighborhoods in India, where you could go down to the store just a few, walk, well, just a half a block away, and, and, and get everything you needed. And the store was only about um, a quarter of the size of the cloakroom, you know, maybe about um, six feet by six feet. And that store had everything that one would need. It had our laundry detergent and the milk and the toothpaste and, um, and even had some vegetables, uh, some rice and dal and, you know, just anything that anybody would need for a very basic existence. Little candies, or you know, whatever. Everything was right there in this little six foot by six foot store, and and of course there were some other stores, you know, further down in down into the city. But most people depended on these small little stores. And I remember um, shortly after coming back from India one time, I was teaching in Canada. And I was it was in Saskatchewan, the prairies, the wide open prairies. And we were driving in town, and the town was, it was Regina, Canada, and the town was expanding because they have lots of room to expand. And right on the edge of town, they had built a Walmart. And this was the biggest Walmart I had ever seen. I mean, it clearly looked like the size of a football stadium. 
It was huge. And I remember I just had this experience in India and where I was, everything was really very simple. You went and you got milk. It was only one kind of milk, you know, in a little plastic thing. There weren't 15 different kinds of milk to choose from. Um, and then I saw this Walmart, and I, and I, I just, it made such an impact on me. I just thought, what's in there? <laughs> what could fill a store that size? I just, I honestly could not get it. What do people need? <laughs> And, and, and ever since then, this is, you know, five or six years ago, that, that, that feeling has not changed. It's like the, 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 there's just, I just feel such a simplicity, you know, in my needs. And, and, there's, and in that, there's really such a freedom. There's a freedom in that simplicity, in that sim- simple way of being. Because there isn't the, the, the I don't experience a lot of greed or, or wanting for things at this point of my um, in my practice, it's like there's just there, with that with that uh, simplicity of a way of being, also comes a, a, a true freedom of choice, a, a freedom to choose whether I want to go and shop for all those things that are in Walmart or not. Like watching those intentions that arise. What are those intentions that arise in terms of the wanting and the not wanting? Being simple. Simplicity in our lives really gives rise to the possibility of being able to examine these, sim- these intentions and these motivations that give rise to either more suffering or more happiness and peace in our life. And so we are asked to really listen, listen, listen in to your being, listen into your heart, to really what's moving you, what's moving through you, what, what moves you, <laughs> what moves you to say something, what moves you to act in a certain way, what is that? What are those forces that are operating within your being? This listening, this quiet listening that we've been developing here over this time together, this is what connects us to our nature, to that, the innate nature of our being which we can call the goodness, our goodness of our being, the goodness of our being that knows what's right and what's not right, that knows what is uh, bad or, or, or good, if we want to use those words, that, that that which can begin to move us into action that is going to bring us more happiness and peace in our life. We can start to feel those forces that are moving within us, are, are those forces of desire for, for me and for what I can get and, and, and what's in it for me? And are they moving us from fear and insecurity and feeling separate and small and isolated? Or, or, and, and then we, we, we have a very, very narrow view of things when that's happening. Or, or are these forces moving 
um, that bring about desire for something greater, uh, for something good, a desire that arises from wisdom, that arises from love and compassion, and for that which, which connects us to a wider view of things, a, a, a bigger view of the way things are, where we don't maybe feel quite so small or isolated or separate. When we feel into that within ourselves, perhaps we can feel that which connects us to all things, that interdependent nature that is running through everything all the time. And as we feel that, perhaps we can start to touch into those intentions, those thoughts, those feelings, those forces that move through us that are really going to make a difference, not only for ourselves, but for the welfare of all beings everywhere, which is really what is going to change this world. And that's why I call our practice that we do here uh, uh, an engaged practice, uh, an engaged Buddhism. It's it's, it's an active practice practice, a a practice that isn't just for ourselves, but is going to make a difference on this planet. This is not a a selfish practice or a self-indulgent practice, because as we start to look more carefully at our own mind, we can bring about an inner transformation that will bring about the outer transformation, the transformation that we all want and are praying for. I think I'll end there, and I'll just end with um, this beautiful uh, quote from the Buddha. I think it's the Dhammapada. The thought manifests as the word or intention. The word manifests as the deed. The deed develops into habit. And habit hardens into character. So watch the thought and its ways with care. And let it spring from love, born out of concern for all beings. Let's sit for a moment together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.